Welcome to DOS Game Club, um, episode 40, I think. Yeah. My name... Yeah. Yeah. My name is Florian. It's episode 40. It's episode 40 already, right. This is a great start for the episode. <laughs> Sorry. So, Let's retake that. No. We're, we're keeping this as it is. Fair. So, oh, I'm Florian, and you heard my two companions already. There is Martin. Hey. And there is Esco. Hey, hello. Hello, and we are going to talk about the game Nomad. Mm -hmm. We've recovered some data from the alien ship at the crash site. Decoding shows the ship's been repaired by someone. It's operational, though the navigation coordinates have been erased. Funding's tight. The isolationists want the whole thing covered up, but we've got to go ahead for an experimental launch. Project Nomad's been approved. Gather what intelligence you can, any way you can, and take any action necessary to preserve the security of this planet. But once you're launched, OESI won't be able to help you. From now on, you're on your own, Nomad. Welcome aboard, Captain. I'm your ship's computer. Please input your name for the ship's log, sir. is Nomad? Uh, Nomad is a... It's a space game, isn't it? Oh, that's a very rough description, I guess. Uh, yeah. Can you elaborate a bit? It's Well, it's, like, it's actually a pretty unknown game, I think. It's pretty obscure, in my mind at least. Never heard of it before. Uh, it's about flying through space and... Uh, meeting aliens, talking to aliens, trading objects with them, discovering new planets. Pretty pretty basic space stuff, really. <laughs> Except for the flying. There's not really that much flying that you actually do in the game. But hmm. bas basically everything else. I think there's a lot to, to this game, but it's basically a space trading simulator. Right. With a story. Yeah, with a story. Right, exactly. So it's it's not entirely unlike Elite or another game that we played earlier, um, which is called Starflight. Would you say those games are similar? It's a lot like Starflight, I would say. Right. I, I think even when we played it back then, someone already said uh, this game was pretty similar. Probably it was the person who suggested the game. Do we know who it was? We do know who it was. Uh, it was DOS Game Club member Voxel. Right. Who is uh, not on the show. He's not on Ooh. the show, but he sent us a voice message, so we'll cover that later, mm. I guess. Okay. It's, I think it's illegal. It should be illegal to, to, to suggest a game and then not be on the show. Yeah, I, I'm all in favor of that new law. I, I think I made up that law a couple of episodes ago when... Yeah. I don't remember. Probably when, when Kitty or Nick wasn't, wasn't mm. joining for Life and Death or something. Exactly, yeah. I think the DOS police should step in uh, and, and arrest Voxel <laughs> because of DOS felonies. Right. I mean, yeah. Anyway, oh, sure. Well. Um, shall we let's listen to the game and maybe hear why he suggested the game? You, uh, you mean play his voice message right now? 
Yes, yes, that's what I mean. Oh, sure. Yeah, let's do it. Hey, I'm your host, uh, Marge Hein. What? Known as Tyne on the forums and uh, Big Marty in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is Tom Foxo on the forums. Um, so, like most DOS games, I played Nomad quite late. We didn't switch from Amiga to IBM PCs in my family until quite late, uh, around 1996. And our first PC was really underpowered. Um, but that Christmas, our uncle must have uh, robbed a discount game store because he basically gave us an entire bargain bin of DOS games on CD-ROM. And none of them were in their original boxes. They were all discount and compilation editions. But they all ran on our crappy PC. Nomad was my favorite in the bunch. It was uh, like a discount Star Trek sci-fi, but all about the aliens and politics rather than technology and scientific concepts. I loved the, the voices and accents for each alien race, how they all had their own cultures and mannerisms. Uh, I even made an attempt to translate the in-game Shasa language that the uh, in-game translator can't make any sense of. The story, the plot, was interesting enough, but I always played the game more as a sandbox, flying between systems, mining and stealing as much as I could, and found that you could break the plot sequence quite severely by collecting artifacts and doing things that you weren't supposed to until much later in the game. I don't think I ever actually defeated the end boss, the evil robot overlord. Instead, I just explored the game, searching for the aliens, and uh, anyway, thanks for picking it as your game of the month. It's uh, one of my favorite DOS games, one of the first DOS games I really played, even if I played it very late. Cool. Yep. Thanks for the voice message. Um, so he, he says he really likes uh, many things about the game, but I think at, at one point he actually lied because he said he liked the voice acting of the aliens, which is really, uh, in my opinion, one of the worst parts of the game. But I guess... really. Yes. No, I I I, I disagree because yeah. the, the thing the thing is is that you have to understand in what era this came out and, and how much space this takes up. This takes up like three, four floppies on I think uh, of space, and, and that the the alien chatter gives it uh, more personality and more voice to the game rather than uh, just random humans with random sort of ubla ubla voices and stuff. So so I I think. The, the way that, that uh, Voxel puts it in his message is, is quite good, is that they attempted to give each race their own history, their own mannerisms, their own voice, and, and it gives more personality to the game rather than uh, running around and there's humans everywhere or, or something similar. Well, actually, I think I would have liked the game better if they didn't have any voiceover for the aliens. What? Well, we'll get into that when we discuss sound later, I guess. I, I didn't mind the voices at all. I thought it was kind of cute. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah. What's what's wrong with them? I don't know. They, they, I mean, they sound super silly. They are repetitive. They don't... I don't know. Hmm. Maybe maybe it's just not my, not my kind of stuff. You just don't like fun. I don't like fun. That's true. <laughs> that's, that's why I host the game club. <laughs> <laughs> about ancient games. <laughs> yeah, well, I I tended to just read the text and skip sort of the uh, basic uh, voice chatter in the background. So, uh-huh. so you do actually agree? So, but but I but I do think that it it has it gives more personality when you sort of sort of get them, and for for each race, slightly different. And when you meet new races, you sort of understand. Okay, this is the same one from this race, right? Yeah, 
Okay, um, then let's push, put put this um, or push this discussion a bit back fur further back, and let's talk a bit more about the game itself, or maybe um, our typical quick introduction stuff, like who played the game before. I know I didn't. I think Martin, you didn't either. I had never even heard of it. No, uh, neither had I. Esco, I read the review when it came out, hmm. uh, possibly, but beyond, I I didn't play it back then because I was more into Wing Commander Privateer. Well, from which, which year is that one? Ooh, which years? I mean, it's later in my mind, but maybe not that much later. I think it's it's a few years later, September actually. September 1993. Oh, same year. Okay. So. Yeah, okay. So yeah, yeah be, be, being sort of more of a, a mainstream EA person, hmm. knowing the Wing Commander series, I was more, more inclined to pick up Privateer yeah. rather than this title. Yeah. Yeah, I totally, I, I had the same thing, honestly. I mean, I hadn't heard of Nomad, but I I was into Elite and also into Wing Commander. And I totally remember Privateer coming out. And it was a big deal when Privateer came out. It was a, it was a big game. It's very different from Nomad. Yeah. it's It has the same sort of basic aspects to it, but it's so different to Nomad. Yeah, much more serious. Did, did Privateer have a story? Yes. Yes, so that doesn't set Nomad apart. No, Nomad is more more of a cartoon, like a cartoon kid show, like uh, with all these these silly aliens popping up, and it's very casual and it's easy to get into, which actually is a quality of the game. To be honest, uh, it's really easy to pick up and just yeah explore space a bit, talk to the talk to the silly cartoon aliens. It's it's all a lot of fun. It's really lighthearted. Um. While uh, most other space games, I feel, are, are really quite serious and, and more in-depth, more complicated, more... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's less gating involved in Nomad. I mean, you'll go travel to a different planet and get annihilated if, if you don't run away. But <laughs> uh, it will still let... Uh, you can go straight to the final boss uh, starting, uh, starting off your first... When you go uh, travel for the first time. If you really wanted to, yeah. But also, I mean, just um, the way the UI works and the way the systems all work—none of it is particularly complicated, is it? No, no. It's all yeah. So, but what I found a bit complicated was actually following the game. So you have to keep so many things in mind. Like you visit an alien and he tells you something, and you have to keep all those details in your in your mind while you go visiting a different planet and. You have to pick up like some 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 cargo, and you have to bring it to a different planet. And yeah, I, I know it, it was a lot lot of content, and there's there's yeah. not very much context to all of it. So suddenly you get a mi mission where you have to I don't know transport uh, super important medicine from one planet to another, and you you don't really get any. You don't really know why you're doing it, or you don't get any any information about what's going on around all of that. So. It, made it a bit hard for me to actually follow what was going on yeah did you have similar problems definitely yeah i think i think the trick is to focus on one thing at a time so it's because it's really tempting when you start the game you can just uh you start at the first alien planet and there's a whole comnet system of missions and there's like i don't know 10 missions in there and you can talk to several people on several ships and talk about all sorts of subjects And if you do if you do all those things, then then it's really you get lost in all the information. Right. 
But if you just pick one mission and just do that and, and ignore all the other things and then just take it slow and one thing at a time, I think it starts to make sense over time. And and you start you you start to recognize the the different races and the what what everyone is trying to achieve and, and what's going on. I think if you take it slow, then then it's easier on you. But but you the game doesn't help you with this at all. Uh, the only thing the game does to help you is is it keeps a log for you. Um, it automatically fills with everything that you encounter. Do all the everything is in there. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of nice. But otherwise, you really have you're on your own in how you approach this. So yeah, I can see how you can get lost. I think the the main point of this game and the reason why it's actually a very yeah, good title in its era is. The discovery. Hmm. It, I think this this game is is a, when when because I'm sort of uh, thinking back to when I played it, and now that we start or we were going to record this podcast is is that the most important part of the game is actually the discovery. You can pick up a mission in the comnet and go do that, and that will give you some reward, and that will uh, advance you in in some ways in the game. But then also it's it's about that you go somewhere and you discover something, you get something, you 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 learn a, a small amount of information. I mean, the fact that it comes with a full full log file that's a text file that you can just read uh, when once you're sort of saved and done with the game, it's it's um, easy. In that aspect, you could parse through it while you play if if you're really really interested and inclined and not actually playing on a real DOS uh, DOS system. But the, this game is more about discovery and figuring things out and, and getting, basically, you don't have to get to the end. Yeah, that's basically what, what Foxel said as well, that he played it as a sandbox game. And I can see, if I had played this game as a kid myself, I probably would have played in the same way. It's just fun to just fly around and, and meet all the different aliens and visit all the different worlds. I I don't think... the the story that is going on is even that clear at the start, is it? I mean, I think it's pretty pretty clear within the first hour. Well, it's clear that there are these um, these bad guys, right? The what are they called? The Koroks. Yeah, exactly the the robots. But apart from that, is there anything else you mean, uh, Esco? Yeah, the, the, I think it's pretty clear. I remember it being referenced. Of course, I just basically started off and did missions and, and talked with people is, is that you understand that there's a master control robot that is reprogramming these Koroks. Exactly. And the idea of the master control robot is to take over take over the world uh, or the, the galaxy in, in this case. And, and uh, you're basically setting out to stop them or find information on how to stop them. Yeah. Do, do you think that's a, that's a Tron reference, by the way? Possibly. Because in Tron, the big evil is the master control program, and it tries to take over um, cyberspace, more or less. Oh, that's close. Close, definitely. A Tron is a Disney film, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So there's a, there's a big Disney link with this game. Oh, can you explain? Well, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, it ties into how the game was made and who made it and all, all that stuff, and I'm sure that we'll cover all that later. But the, 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 short, uh, the short of it is that this game was supposed to be a Disney game um, tying into the Space Mountain attraction in Disneyland, California. 
apparently in Disneyland, California, there's a ride called Space Mountain. And apparently, I mean, I've never been there, so I... Can't. I've been there. Okay. So, so did you see it above the entrance? Uh, Space Mountain? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't remember if I saw anything above the entrance. I mean, it was 22 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But but Space Mountain is essentially a, a in-the-dark roller coaster right. where there's lights and spacey stuff and yeah. things like that. Exactly. But the, the story I read is that above the intra- entrance, there used to be a spaceship. Yes. And apparently this spaceship is exactly the Nomad spaceship. Okay. Huh. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't remember <laughs> uh, the uh, look of, of the spaceship. And no. the Nomad spaceship is a bit, uh, well, blocky. Yeah, sure. But it's, it's like this long spaceship with a sort of sphere in front and then and these cubes as a train behind it. Um, which apparently was also above the entrance in actual Space Mountain in Disneyland, California. And, and well, what I read is that the story of this game was supposed to be that a visitor to Disneyland gets into Space Mountain, but then is launched into space and then has an whole space adventure up there. And that's this game. So, and, and in the end, apparently the, um, the deal fell through or I don't know, something, something, happened that caused disney to pull out or or to yeah this uh, i mean this game is not a disney game in the end um but they made it anyway i suppose they were already along developing this game and then they just renamed it and and removed the of changed the title really because it was going to be called space mountain um you can still still see a, a reference when you open the in-game log it says at the top space mountain log so that's one hint that, that this was actually a Disney game. Yep. I mean, you were talking about Tron, uh, Florian. Yeah. So maybe eh, maybe they they wanted to combine a whole lot of Disney stuff. I don't know. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I, I guess we'll, we'll never find out. <laughs> no. <laughs> but this explains all the cartoony characters and aliens. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So we talked a little bit about the content already, but um, do we want to go a bit into detail what you can do in the game and what you can encounter and what stuff you can find and what you can do with it? Yeah, the game, it's, I mean, the the whole Space Mountain thing was dropped, so they had to come up with a different story. The story is really basic, isn't it? It's just basically the story is there was a spaceship that crash landed onto Earth. Let's launch it and go back to space. That's the whole story. <laughs> and there's something about, in the intro, there's something about uh, the government want to covering the whole thing up or something, which was really an early 90s trope. Yeah, absolutely. That was like <laughs> in every piece of media. X-Files. The government covering X-Files. Up, yeah. Covering up aliens. That was what the government was really all about. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we pay them for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, this game has a similar story and then you're sent just by yourself into space and, and yeah, you're the nomad, you're the space nomad or something. I don't know. But then once you are launched into space, you, you immediately, uh, encounter aliens, don't you? Yeah. It's It's like the first thing that happens is, uh, is an alien goes, Hey, welcome to space (laughs) (laughs) on your stolen (laughs) air spacecraft. Yeah, yeah. By the way, yeah, do, do, exactly. Do we know what happened to the pilot of the craft? Is 
are they being abducted in Area 51? Or <laughs> I don't know if it's possible that they were originally a Korok and that ah. they, uh, the guy who contacts us is originally shot it down and then the Korok was so damaged that and the, the uh, uh, meager Earthlings did not know what to do with this robot thing. Right. But the, then, then, then there would be another question. Um, do Koroks have life support aboard their vessels? I don't know, but uh, in the game itself, <laughs> if if you're fast enough, you can actually trade with them before they're con taken over by the master control robot. Wow! I, I managed to trade with oh, with one or two along the way. So you fly into s somewhere and then you hit the intercom to talk with them, and that's how the sort of the the trading interface works. Is that you can just uh, hail a ship or contact a, a, a ship, and then you can talk through trades and i did some trades with some koroks wow and then uh if you go if it takes a bit too long the master control system it kicks in and then it says uh, override and then it goes back into hostile mode oh man that's cool huh. i had no idea i immediately i immediately panicked every time i met a korok and i just started started shooting yeah same like a madman but but the game very much primes you on that right yes so this this first alien you meet he, the first thing he says, hey, we have to kill all mm -hmm. the evil Koroks. Yeah. Uh, please help. And um, then you have two options. You can say yes or no. That's not, not quite my kind of thing. And I always felt compelled to, to say mm. yes and do it because, you know, that's, that's the alien. He asked, he asked for help. And yeah. obviously the Koroks are the evil guys, but I didn't actually stop to think about it. <laughs> Just immediately lured in yep. into the, the death cult. Yeah. <laughs> Just no questions. <laughs> I, I assume in real life I would have thought twice, but this is a game, right? <laughs> I hope. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure how how much it like uh, later on uh, uh, decides sort of the course of the missions or anything. So if you, for example, choose that you don't want to fight that much, then maybe they give you more running around missions or or give you more access to more explore exploration tools. Hmm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's that advanced. I think it's it's pretty much set. I mean, basically, whatever happens, you get a bunch of missiles, and then you're told to go over there. Yeah, but I think the more missions you do, the just there are less options remaining every time. I don't think the game gives you new content based on what you're doing. Yes, it does. Oh, okay. I didn't notice then. Okay, so so the trick is is that when you do missions for the different races, you will gain status with the different races, and then you gain different uh, different perks, and then you mm -hmm. you sort of level up with the different races, and and yeah. you get these uh, commendations and stuff. Yeah. So they actually, uh, you could uh, once you get up to a high enough level, you could talk to somebody new of the, of the same race, and then they'll suddenly give you something. Mm. Oh, hey, you have this thing. I noticed you have this thing. So let me give you this stuff. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then that way, it's it advances, and apparently, a part of the story, you're g either given a hint, or you're given uh, a specific item that you need uh, once you reach reach a certain level. Right. Yeah, I did get a few of those medals and stuff, and and they do when you when you encounter an alien, they they notice it, right? They say, "Oh, you've got this medal," and then yeah, they give you stuff. Um. But I'm not sure if it really changes what missions are available. Maybe it does. There's there's a few missions that I don't think that are uh, available otherwise. But right. what I ended up in in my playthrough is is that I didn't have anything other than kill X missions. Yeah. And my shields were so garbage that I had real problems completing them. 
I had exactly the same thing. Uh, in the end, there were only missions where there were two or more bad guys. And that's a real problem when you have bad shields. Because it's it's okay to f- to fight a single enemy, right? I mean, then it's just a matter of shooting quickly and then, yeah. But if there's another guy shooting at you at the same time, you can't target two ships at once. So you have to kill the first one. And then by the time you get to the second one, yeah, if you don't have good shields, then you're just already dead. Yeah, I think I think the the point of that is is that this is not exactly meant to be a shoot 'em up game. Hmm. I mean, the the, the the battles themselves are sort of these 2D environments where you just sort of fly around and wait until your missile locks on and press a button. Yeah. I, I think we have to explain that a bit more because when you say 2D environment, then I get a different picture in my head than what the game actually does. Yeah, that's true. So when, when you say 2D environment, um, I immediately think top-down top down shooter thing, but it's not that, right? Yeah, but it's essentially you're you're looking at the planetscape from your cockpit, and the only you you are given sort of speed controls, but you're only sort of given is that uh, okay, you rotate whatever your your cockpit towards whatever you want to shoot at, and the speed just affects is how close you get to it or how far away it is, mm-hmm. and that's really the basic thing of it. I'm I and the only weapons that you have are missiles. Yeah, it looks sort of similar to yeah. to Wing Commander or Elite, but it's it's not the same at all not because at all, no. you can only move left and right. You get two degrees of freedom instead of six, right? So yeah, it's, it it really plays like a top down two D game, except it's first person. Yeah, yeah. But that but that sort of goes back into the the thing is is that there's so much more in this game that's not fighting, mm. and I think in in the end, if we go back and revisit the game we'd probably end up doing more trading, more discovery, and more everything else, and almost ignore as much fighting as we can, because it's not really worth it in the end. Right, except for the missions where, yeah, yeah you just sort of have to. But even then, you can, you can do a lot of trading, and you can get upgraded shields, you can get upgraded missiles, you can get upgraded every, everything before you even head off and, and, uh, and uh, take on one of the uh, enemies if you want. Yeah, that's probably the way to go, yeah. You know, I didn't actually realize that you could just skip missions and just read on the text that the um, Comnet gave you. So I, I thought, oh, now I have to go to that planet and kill two cruisers. And that obviously didn't, ha- didn't happen because I didn't have the firepower and all the shields. It's completely open world, really. You can do whatever you want. Right, but I thought to get to get the, the, the mission to... Um, advance. To, to, to advance, exactly. Uh, I would have to do all those missions in sequence, but apparently that's not the case, right? No, no, it's ah, it's so. just it's just a generic uh, task list. Is that you could go and do this stuff for some of the races? I think you have to do some of the missions where you're helping out one of their fighters, and then you sort of get the recognition, and then you can start getting a bit more friendly with the other ones, and they'll start trading with you. So the missions are sort of important from from the from one aspect is is that it helps you to to get more rapport with. Uh, some of the alien races, yeah, and then you get it's easier to trade with them. It's better, easier to get missions from them and other things. Yeah, the way it works is actually kind of interesting. It's it's in a way it's more complicated or complicated is not even the word. I mean, it's more in depth than than 
most other space trading games, I think. Because most other space trading games, they just have lists of items and fluctuating prices, and that's pretty much it. But this game, well, for starters, it doesn't have any prices at all because there's no currency. There's no money in this game at all. It's, It's only barter trade. It's only just swapping items, swapping this for that, and you're given a bunch of items at the start. And that's really all you have to to get better stuff with. So a big aspect of trading is actually to become more friendly with the aliens. So they will uh, are more inclined to give you better stuff. Yeah, And I think one nice detail about that is, is that when you have better standing or, or you just have uh, the alien likes you, their face will change in the actual sort of in-game picture. Yeah, exactly. You have to sort of read their expressions and then judge your chances of a good trade, which is actually really nice uh, game design, I think. It's really, yeah, it's really cool. It's it's more advanced than you would think for an early 90s game. And there, there are tons of things you can trade, right? Yeah. I mean, even from, from the start, you have like, I don't know, 15, 20 items in your inventory, and you can mm-hmm. ask every alien about all of those objects, and if you show them your car keys, you'll say, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I traded my car keys away for for something. I don't remember what. <laughs> yeah, I, I traded mine for some flowers. And then <laughs> I gave very... the flowers to, to another alien who was really happy with them. And it's like, oh, these are my favorite flowers. It's oh, a yeah. very Dutch thing of you to do. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's cool. And you can also in- increase your standing with aliens by um, naming facts, which is also a really weird unique game thing um you can gather facts by speaking to people and then you can drop these facts in just saying oh i know this is this is like that and then this if this is a fact that they might not know or they just they just like this fact they'll they'll smile a little more and they'll go oh yeah yeah you know about that that's cool so it's a really interesting way of uh, this, yeah, just in- interesting mechanics. But as there's a, um, one thing about that. Um, when you visit the Musin, the spy race, mm-hmm. and you tell them something, then this guy, at least when I did, this guy just said, I'm not interested in that. I mean, come on, you're a spy intelligence person. <laughs> you should be interested in whatever I tell you. Well, yeah, well, if it's really a boring fact, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's fun to talk a little bit about the aliens. Yeah, sure. Because there are a lot of aliens. I mean, there are a crazy amount of aliens in this game. Um, the first ones you meet are the Arden, right? They're like the main the main aliens. Is that fair? Well, they're the first ones you meet. There's there's no real main alien because you can do yeah. almost whatever you want after sort of meeting and then you depending on where you go or what missions you do, you get sort of better yeah. information about other races. They're kind of the Vulcans of, of this game, right? So Well they they are the founders of this thing called the Alliance, which is a very important thing, I suppose, in their mind at least, which is, I guess, like the Star Trek thing you were going to mention, Florian. The yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Federation and uh, for one, and then they welcome you to space, and yeah, you know, it's 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 very very Vulcan like. I mean, they are they're traders. They're not not scientists, no people, but whatever. Yeah, exactly. And they look like and they're llamas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's cool. And the, the, each picture 
is basically the same for each alien, but they do have different color shirts. So that's that's one way of keeping them apart. So that's, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> it's their passport. <laughs> Another alien I, I encountered were the uh, Parump or Parump. I don't know how to say it. Parump. Uh, and they're basically, they're collecting junk is, is their thing. And, and they're in really poor health all the time. Um, the, the way I encountered them was, was through this. I did a mission where there was some, they called it a vegan virus. Ah, yes. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but, uh, yeah, I, I gave them some medicine and, uh, yeah, they were happy. They have this, they have a really big nose. That's their thing. They have a <laughs> massive nose and they're in poor health and they're considered, I guess, a bit of a nuisance by all the other aliens and just, yeah, annoying. Annoying sick guys with big noses. Well, if you have so. a big nose, that means you can get lots of colds. Mm, that's it, probably. Yeah. You mentioned the, the Musin already, the spy aliens. Yeah. Those are cool. <laughs> I don't know much about them. Um, I didn't, as, as I mentioned before, I didn't play too much, but yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think I ever made it up to the Musin. I, I more had problems with the Felonese, which were the cat ladies. Oh, nice. Because I had a few missions and I needed stuff from them. And so. It was uh, because they're really sort of uh, uh, difficult to get anything out of them unless you've already done missions for them and, and gotten better uh, uh, better relations with them. Right. They're arrogant, it says on Wikipedia, which I don't know. Maybe it's a bit of a sign of the times as well that the, the, female, <laughs> the female race is arrogant. <laughs> I don't know. No, I, no it's, it's, it's just basically the, the, um, the essence of a cat. Right. I mean, it's, uh, will you feed me? And then, yeah. oh, you fed me. I didn't want this. <laughs> you know, it, it, you could consider, the, consider them more like cats and, mm. and leave, leave the female out of it. Right, right. <laughs> uh, the Ursor, the Ursor, uh, Ur, I'm not sure. Well, Ursor, if you consider it, it's because they're bears and it's Ursa oh. for, uh, for the bear constellation. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So someone wrote in the document that they are very fond of beer. So they are beer bears that are very fond of beer. Yes. Yeah, they're, right. they're, they're beer bears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're kind of important because they make the best shield generator. So I, I actually spent most of the game trying to befriend them and then get this good shield generator out of them, which I did not succeed at. I had two. Oh, okay. But still, still not good enough for, for taking on the baddies. No, I... Probably my missile launchers weren't fast enough, or I didn't have enough missiles, or something. But uh, or or did I have the be- I just had the best armor, I think, in the game, not the best shield. Oh no! Okay, yeah, yeah. I I think the shield is really, yeah. I, I I tried to load up my save actually before we went went uh, live recording this podcast, and it won't load. Mm. I'm sad. Oh, <laughs> that's too bad. That's too bad. The game didn't recognize the save at all, and I can't copy paste it to uh, save it back. Oh man. But there are lots of other aliens as well. Mm-hmm. I didn't meet those. Um, we already m- uh, mentioned the um, what's it? The Korok, right? The the evil guys. Yeah. I, I I mean I did meet those obviously, but I didn't meet any of the other ones. I guess you meet them later on in the game. I guess the game is about that, isn't it? It's about exploring space and meeting more and more aliens as you go. I mean, I mean, technically, when you sort of first play through the game, you're given sort of missions to go to planet 
X or planet Y and, and everything else. And then eventually you can go to inhabited or uninhabited planets and select them off the list. But then eventually you notice that, hey, you can just go anywhere on the system map. Oh, so I you think... can go so you can go into the system map and select wherever you want to go, whatever system you want to go, whatever planet you want to go in that system, and then you can just press a button and go there. Oh, I didn't use that at all. There's a there's two different interfaces, I think, for navigation. Yeah, they they're both sort of behind this the same way and and the way that this menu work the menu in the game works is that you're presented with a text of options. You can either click them or use your keyboard on the highlighted highlighted letters and you can just go in and select the different systems and that's why you can actually go straight to the master control robot right. from uh, the beginning. Because as long as you know the coordinates and the planet of where it is, you can just go click, 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 and 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 then uh, travel there. Right. And they get spontaneously blown up if you try to take it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that's what I did. I mean, you 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 talk to these aliens, and then as you do, the list of locations uh, gets populated with all the places they mention, and then I just use the list to go to all these other places. But I didn't realize there's also a map where you can just go to places that have not been mentioned before. Yeah. Sometimes they just, just tell you something happened near coordinates, whatever, whatever. Yes. Um, they don't necessarily show up in the known locations then, right? No, it won't. It will actually say that, okay, there's something in coordinates 2.4 on the third planet. Right. Or something similar. And then you actually just have to go into the map to there and then pick it out. I mean, I was uh, thinking is that this might be a fun game if you could actually go in and speed run this game, uh, if you can pick up things early and go out, out of sequence completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so I found one walkthrough that basically has the the beginning and then it has a, a bit and then some magic happens and then it sort of goes to the end. It's sort of like, mm. oh, great, this not doesn't help. Or the fact that you have to trade something very crucial to get to the end you need 255 of one of the missiles it's sort of like yeah i'm not gonna do that (laughs) yeah but you can have a lot of fun with this game just just not even really achieving anything just just moving around and yeah doing random stuff it's hard to really mess it up i think yeah and one of one of the important gameplay aspects which is not trading which is not combat which is not talking is, is that eventually you get these uh robots right and some add-ons onto the robots, and and you can get an archaeology robot. You can get a ranch robot, which allows you to uh, find creatures. You get a spy bot, which allows you to steal stuff from inhabited planets. And then there's um, a scanner as well that is used. And when you upgrade your scanner, you can scan uh, different uh, systems and find out more about them. There's also a gas bot, I think, so you can collect things off the planets. Yeah. So essentially, just given enough time, you can. You can basically get enough stuff by using the bots to then go and uh, trade it for whatever you want. Yeah, but the but you have to be careful because it does give you a threat rating on the bots uh, when when you deploy it. So if you have a bot that doesn't have like a climate add-on on it, and you put it on a hostile planet, you're just going to lose the bot, and then you have to go off find and trade and trade for a new kind of the same bot, or hope you have a second one. Yeah, you mean like the the conditions of the planet, right? Like the yes atmosphere. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's not that they get attacked or anything. It's just surviving on these different planets is yeah not straightforward. I think I think I sent my archbot onto an ice world, and then the the threat level was was in the middle, and my bot didn't have any stuff added onto it, so I lost it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but that's a, that is a cool 
part of this game. It, it, it gives it another layer, yet another layer, because there's already quite a lot going on. But I was also surprised how intuitively you could use that. Um, I mean, um, very early in the game, I got a mission to recover um, the, the onboard computer of a crashed ship or something. And you have to use the bot for that. And it's not explained in any way, but you, you kind of... You kind of find out how to do it very quickly, and that's that's actually speaks for the game. I think. I think that's true for for most of this game. To be honest, that it's just pretty easy to get into and to play it. I mean, there's a there's a menu. It's played mainly through a menu, and yeah, you just select the option that you want, and then it does that. It's a bit like pirates. It's a bit like pirates. Yeah, it's uh, it's just yeah, pretty straightforward, and there's nothing particularly complicated or yeah, you don't need a lot of knowledge. In fact, there's uh, some things that I feel there is just no knowledge at all. I mean, uh, like the different items you get for upgrading your ship, for example. How do you know which one is better? There's no stats. There's no... There's there's a little bar. Okay. There's a bar. When, when, you, yeah. when you go in, you actually have to equip the new stuff. Yeah. Which I found out probably after playing for five hours. But <laughs> you actually go in, you equip the stuff, and you can see the bar moving up and down right. when you select the equipment. And the thing is, is that the uh, what it does is it or, if you get one out of order and then you get a previous one, which is not as good, it'll actually just put them in order. So you can see the bar going up um, when you select it, and yeah. then it's done. The, the problem, which I think is, is what I had is, is that I wasn't sure if it was removed from my inventory. Mm. So if I was making a trade, I'm not sure if I can trade this item. Is it the one that I have now? Yeah. Or, or is it one of the previous ones? If it's the one that I have, if I trade it, then it's gone, right? Yeah. And then I have then I have the problem is that I didn't get to keep it. And then yeah. I've traded away yeah. my best armor or shield or missile launcher or or something similar. And yeah. and that's sort of it's it's doesn't it doesn't let me like equip it like okay now it's locked in yeah that's a bit weird i think you just have to write down notes of what is your best equipment and then just make sure you never trade those yeah i think this is this is very much the style of game and and very much a sort of uh, of that era is where make notes mm. and, and spend time thinking about things and doing stuff and and enjoying yourself if you're actually going going in for like a, a big trade spree yeah, you have to sort of know what you're doing. That's just how those early 90s games were. Just, yeah. It's like a quality of them, to be honest. It's like, yeah, you can do whatever you want, even if it makes no sense. Even if it's not that good a move. The game is not going to warn you. It, it doesn't say, you want to trade your best shield, really, for a for a piece of chocolate? <laughs> well, that, actually, that, that gives me a bit of anxiety when playing the game. Mm. So I'm always afraid of doing something really stupid that messes up my save game, and maybe I won't even notice for quite a while. Yeah. So that, that makes me really cautious. And yeah. I don't know, it, it takes me a bit out of the game, to be honest. Yeah, especially since there's only one save slot, right? Or at least there's no hot loading. I mean, you can save your game at a planet, and then it, the, the game only asks, do you want to continue playing or not? So I think the game assumes that you just save occasionally. And if you're done playing, you just quit the game. And then the next time you launch it, you start at where you saved. But it's not, there's not, no real safe scumming mechanism. You can't save and then try something and then load the game again. Uh, uh, oh, yes, I did that all the time. But you have to quit the game, right? Yeah, yeah because basically because I died and then... 
<laughs> What's the yeah, point okay. of continuing at that point? Is they're like, okay, load up the game again. Yeah, okay. But yeah, even the game doesn't yeah. load really fast, right? I mean, I, no. I did this this way of safe scumming with um, Prince of Persia, for example, where you can just um, close uh, box and just you're, you're yeah. back playing after like five seconds. Yeah, exactly. But, That's not the uh, case with this one. No. And also, when you die, the game doesn't really ask if you want to load your uh, save game. The options are quit, which just quits the game to DOS, or rebuild your ship on Earth. Yeah. And then if you do that, then you basically just start over, but with all the knowledge that you had. So all the locations are still there, all the missions, all the aliens you talk to, everything. And the only penalty is that you lose some items. I think you lose everything. No, no, no. You could just just lose some items. Oh, okay. Because I... I... I thought you you lost everything, or at least at some point I looked at my inventory and it was completely empty. Mm. Are there any um, unique items that you cannot get get back, for example? Not sure. Or can, can you, through trade, get back everything you lost? Uh, there are unique items that are story-bound. I know of them because I read through the walkthrough. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure if you can get back your stuff so if you go back and go to the planet and go to wherever whatever killed you and you kill them, do you get your stuff back? Or do you get some of your stuff back? Because when when you do kill some opposing uh, ships, you do get some of their stuff. Yeah, It's a little pop-up. It's not exactly very clear, but it's sort of like a little message. You got this? Yeah. Like, oh. yeah. You have to wait for it, right? You don't have to really do anything. Just right. wait for it. It just appears in your inventory. Yeah, yeah. Which is good. But yeah, which yeah. is good. Yeah, definitely. Too, too bad we don't really know if the game does that because I would be I would be surprised if a game of that era um, would um, track so many things. Well, the save file is actually pretty big in, in size. Hmm. It wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if if it like if there's some key items that either they reappear with the person that had them before, and then you have to trade them again, or they're just available from somewhere uh, where you left them. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I never made it that far. I wasn't. No, I wasn't that good. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> right. So, is there anything we haven't discussed about the game itself, like the um, the actual content uh... or gameplay? No, I think I think we we did pretty well with with everything. We have yeah travel and uh, the races and all all the stuff. I mean, there's no point in going into uh, all the eight different tiers of missiles that you can get. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. So usually at that point, we talk a bit about um, how the game came to be. So I don't know anything about it, but I see someone uh, researched a lot about that. Who who was it? And do you want to talk about it? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I did some research. I always do this kind of research. I don't know. It just sort of interests me, like who who made this and when and then how did it all came together. So uh, um what it basically comes down to is that there's there's three parties involved in making this game. And the first one is called Intense Interactive, which I had never heard of before in my life. And that is not surprising because it seems that Nomad is the only game that they ever made, worked on. Um, so I'm not I'm not even really sure how serious this company is. Or I mean it could be that it that the whole company is just two or three people. I'm really not sure. But it seems that this man called Sam Palanuk, I'm going to say, Palanuk, Sam Palanuk, 
Uh, he seems to be the central figure. He came up with the game. He is credited as concept and design, which seems important. And if you if you look up Sam Palinok on uh, Moby Games, then you can see that he's worked on lots of Disney games. He's designed and worked on uh, Dick Tracy games, Mickey Mouse edutainment, uh, Mickey's Colors and Shapes, Mickey's ABC, stuff like that. He's also worked on a, on another educational game called Wolf, which is actually really an interesting title and maybe something we should look at in the future, Florian, because it's... Uh, oh, yeah. We, we never had an educational game, I think. So yeah, and it's, it's, it's an interesting game because you play the game as a wolf. So it's like you have to survive in the forest and find food and, and, and feed your cubs. And, and Well, you, you play Sonic as a hedgehog, so... <laughs> <laughs> is it really is it really edutainment? Is it <laughs> I think it is. No, 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 but it's like a it's a serious wolf simulator. It's really really intriguing. It's like uh yeah, it's not it's not uh, an arcade version or anything. It's just yeah, you're a wolf now, so survive, survive in the in the wild. It's kind of cool. But yeah, he's he's involved with that. And I I guess with all his Disney work, he was also talking to them about the the Space Mountain stuff that we mentioned before right so i i think the idea was to make a space mountain disney game uh but that apparently fell through for some reason unknown and i guess they still made the game anyway because maybe they had already made the game uh, i don't know but they renamed it to nomad and they removed all the links to disney except that it's um still mentioned in some dialogues when you speak to some aliens it it mentions space mountain apparently that's everything I could find on on Intense Interactive because this is the only game that they did. So I don't know if the whole company was just founded for this game or. I, I get I get the feeling that this was sort of like they didn't get the Disney backing for Space Mountain, and then it's sort of like okay, let's do this, and then they just went back and did more Disney stuff afterwards. So yeah, exactly. That's the sort of feeling I get as well. It's just like it's a temporary step like oh yeah well then i guess we'll have to do something ourselves or something and interestingly uh they didn't develop the game at all like they only came up with the concept and i think they only did the, the talking to publishers and, and stuff like that but they didn't actually develop program anything um that was handled by another company called papyrus design group and papyrus design group they, they've been around for a while they they were founded in 1987 by two people, David Kemmer and Omar Kudari. And they are mostly known for 3D racing games. Uh, they released Inia Plus 500 in the late 80s and IndyCar Racing, NESCAR Racing. Uh, yeah, they made all sorts of 3D racing games, really. That's, that was like their thing. Road Rash is a very well-known mm. title. That's a big one. Yeah, I'm not sure if they made the original one. I think they definitely worked on a port of, of one maybe a later release of Road Rash. But yeah, they, they were all all into this 3D racing game stuff. In fact, <laughs> I could only find two games they made in total that are not 3D racing games. Uh, one is uh, Lynx Challenge of Golf, they made in 1994. And one is J.R.R. Tolkien's Riders of Rohan, <laughs> which I guess is a, a Lord of the Rings game they made in... How, what gave you that idea? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know. know. Just, just that's my imagination, <laughs> intuition. No, but I mean, such a, such a a weird 
sidestep. Like, yeah, we're really into into 3D racing, so we made a, a talking <laughs> Riders of Rowan. Well, it was their second Rowan. game, so you de- it's yeah. basically like they took a stab at one thing, which was popular, hmm. then they took a stab at another thing, which didn't re- go very well, and then they went back to racing, which was a good thing for them. Yeah, I think that's that's probably what happened, yeah. You, you know what? This Riders of Rohan game, it looks really intriguing. It looks different. <laughs> I, I think I want to play it. Maybe we should. Put a Maybe. suggestion in the forum. Yeah, I will. Why not? Why not? <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the Papyrus Design Group, they were uh, hired, I suppose, to, to handle the development of this game. So they put together a team uh, consisting mainly of about five people. There were four pro- programmers and one artist uh, involved from Papyrus. I also looked up uh, some of the other people involved, such as the music composer, but I don't think they were hired from Papyrus. I think they were just freelance people, um, yeah, just working on on all sorts of games. Uh, So I I think the Papyrus part was this this core team consisting of four programmers, which also included, interestingly, David Kemmer and Omar Kudari again, the two founders. So the two founders of the company, they were programming this game and also two other people Richard Garcia and Andy Hendrickson and there was one person doing all the graphics Doug McCartney so I think for one graphics person this is an amazing feat I mean yeah there is some additional art in the in the credits I should be maybe maybe those people did more than the title suggests but it says all the graphics and animations are done by Doug McCartney so that's yeah, seems like Seems like a lot for one person. So, I don't know. So, the, so the, the Papyrus guys, they were hired to program the game. And eventually, they went on to make mainly more 3D racing games, more NASCAR games, more IndyCar games, more all sorts of stuff. And eventually, in 1995, they were acquired by Sierra Online. Not sure what Sierra was doing. I mean, they were really riding the adventure game market, right? So the the thing was is that I think it was, of course, around ninety five. You have to realize Windows ninety five came out. Mm. Windows ninety five exploded the sort of the the PC scene in a ways because you could finally do a lot of things that weren't possible. Right. So uh, also one thing that that you have to do, understand probably what companies do now is they buy IPs. So because Papyrus had the rights to NASCAR. Right. They bought them probably because they wanted to get it NASCAR. Some of that NASCAR money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably. And Sierra didn't stay the um, adventure company very long after that, right? No. I mean, in only three years later, they published Half-Life. So That's true. Yeah, I think maybe, maybe that was just the thing, that Sierra was venturing into other markets because maybe they felt the adventure game thing was drying up and they were looking for other things. That's real, a real possibility. Either way, they bought Papyrus and they kept releasing NASCAR, IndyCar, whatever racing games. But eventually it didn't go so well and Sierra went bankrupt and I think it was sold to Vivendi or something or I don't know some company and uh, in 2002 David Kemmer left so that's one of the founders he left the company and he started a new one called First LLC and they are the ones that developed the iRacing uh, online sim racing game and 
Well, this is a really niche thing, but it's actually in the world of of esports racing. This is one of the biggest titles. So, yeah, that's actually quite a a big thing in in its own little world. So, yeah, that's what they made after. Uh, and apparently, the they bought back some of the NASCAR rights. Um, not that they were particularly interested in the NASCAR brand, I think. I think it was mainly because they wanted their own technology back, like their own 3D engine and stuff like that. Because I read that the first version of iRacing was actually based on the NASCAR 2003 code base. So They, they probably just bought back the rights to their own source code that they already had. Exactly. Exactly. Or, or, or the fact is that they were forced to leave the, the pile of floppies in the corner uh, <laughs> when, when, they, when they left and then they, they, they wanted their pile of floppies back despite the backups that they had. Yeah, exactly. Because I, IP and engine theft back in 2003 or so or 2004 it w- was something that they looked, looked at. I mean, now you have the Epic engines and the Unreal engines. and yeah. And the Crytek engines, which which are you just pay, give them uh, fork over the money, and you can have it. Yeah, nowadays you would just make it in Unity or something, yeah. and then you'd have a three D game in no time. But back then it was a little different. So, uh, so yeah, the, they basically they bought back their own game, and then I guess Papyrus lives on in in iRacing in a way because they're going, they're they're still going strong. The 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 third party, the last party involved with this game is GameTech, which was the publisher. Uh, GameTech was founded in 1987 in Florida, and it was actually a spin-off of another company. And they were mostly involved with TV game shows, and they had all sorts of licenses for stuff like Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, and well, those sorts of game shows and they they had the licenses to make other stuff with that theme uh, so I, I think they made books and and i don't know other stuff but also also software uh, at least at, at first they didn't make any software but they they handed these uh, rights these licenses to make uh, jeopardy and wheel of fortune software to other companies and they were really successful with them so then they figured hmm okay maybe we should make some some stuff ourselves and they, yeah, that's how they ventured into the world of video games, and they started developing video games, I think, but mainly publishing them. Um, there's a list of games they published on Wikipedia, and I wish I could name some of the good ones, but honestly, it's not. It's it's a list of crap, really. <laughs> it's uh, I don't know. A lot of these games are kind of terrible. One of the bigger ones is Frontier Elite Two. That's that's a kind of a cool game the the sequel to elite but a lot of these games are i i know I some know. of the some of these titles as well is that there's uh alien incident which i know because it, it's from finland hmm. it was uh uh by developer house house mark who went on to uh they did uh super stardust okay so so that that was one of the games i uh, and then if, <laughs> there are some really bad ones like Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo on PC. Yeah, yeah, exactly, really, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then there's Zool, which was a mediocre platformer game. Yeah, and I don't think they even did the main... Uh, they weren't even the main publisher of Zool. I think they only handled 
the American, and then I remember Virgin Interactive. I think yeah, was I think they maybe own- one one of the ones at least uh, Gremlin, yeah, maybe yeah, according yeah. to to Wikipedia. But I remember maybe a Virgin Virgin white box version of Zool. Yeah. So so I I think they just basically they were one of the people who had a publishing system. Yeah, and they handled like the. Um- for example, they also uh, did Master of Orion, but they didn't do the Windows, the DOS version, the, the popular version. They did the Mac version. So it's all, I don't know. It's every, everything is sort of, eh, with these guys. It's, uh, it's a big list of games, and I can't really name any of them as particularly interesting. <laughs> Which I guess is the reason why they went under in 1998 already, which seems really early. I guess I guess the times were changing also. I mean the the whole video game industry was developing rapidly in the late 90s so maybe they just got caught up in that, I don't know. But anyway, they went bankrupt in 98 and they were purchased by Take-Two Interactive. So you you say that was was very rapid, but uh, Papyrus they only made it for 8 years and GameTech uh, got 11 years out of it. So yeah, but but Papyrus they were bought by Sierra as an investment, I think, as a as an asset. But GameTech just yeah, it yeah. was it was definite. There, there was an expansion from Sierra Online. If yeah. you read Sierra's uh, Wikipedia article, nineteen ninety five, they yeah, were okay. the biggest game publisher in the world. Exactly, and GameTech just dwindled and died. It's just yeah, it's just yeah, very different. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, so I yeah. Weirdly, I think this might be one of GameTech's better games. <laughs> That's all I know, anyway, about uh, how this game came to be and and who was involved with the development of it. So, yeah, I think that's a uh, as always, it's a very interesting story to hear what how how all those people came together and what happened to them afterwards. So, yeah, I think so. I like to hear those things. Yeah, I, I don't like researching them, but I like to hear them from you. So. <laughs> well, I, I'll keep on researching them. Very good. <laughs> all right. So um, we talked about the game content. We talked about how it came to be. We talked about people who made it, including graphics and sound people. So maybe you should talk a bit more about the graphics and the sound. Sure. The, the the graphics. I you, you, you're here. Someone wrote here here that three three twenty by two hundred two fifty six color VGA probably. <laughs> it's, it, it doesn't. Yeah. The, the the three D scenes they don't look like two hundred fifty six colors. But um, all of the um, character portraits and the planet surfaces they all look very much two hundred fifty six colors. And I'm pretty sure it's exactly that that video mode. So yeah, I I think I think the the uh, the way that it was probably made is is that there's a lot of various different graphics that that they put together as uh, uh, i mean palette swapping was easy uh so for if you have 20 different characters you just give them 20 different outfits yeah and and that way, that's the way that you know one race from another so you don't necess- so from an asset management point of view it's it's easier to do where you just say, okay, you take the same color, basic color and then you just replace five with 17. Right. But that's, that's, that's not really something that, um, that's unique to that time. I mean, even later games um, yeah. did basically that. I mean, when you, when you think of um, Warcraft or Starcraft, for example, and you play one of the races, depending on what color you pick as your player color, they just replace a few colors, right? So Yeah. But of course, when you consider that this is 
very small in a game. There's a lot of there's a lot of information I think going on, but uh, the the graphics themselves are sort of basic. The uh, the flying ships are very basic. All the detail is more in in the races and in the planets. Yeah. Okay. And and the great animations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to say, um, I think there's a, a different reason why those 3D scenes are not as detailed. I mean, this game uh, can run on a 286. And as someone who made a 3D renderer for DOS machines, I can tell you that it's not easy to make that stuff fast on a 286. And it still looks sort of good, I think. Even yeah. The, it, it, yeah. Looks, looks pretty, I think. I wouldn't... I don't mind it. Like, I mean, I never thought to myself playing this game oh this looks terrible i always thought everything looks kind of cool and looks kind of polished yeah yeah i I mean the 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 character portraits i I thought they looked um i don't know maybe a bit blurry at at times like when they do some facial expressions it seems like they have just moved around parts of the face (laughs) you know what i mean so i wouldn't be surprised that that was the case is that they only did they they only have to animate like a 50 by 50 block or a 20 by 20 block and of course that's how games of that era uh, saved a lot of of memory and and a lot of animation effort is that everything is is confined to this little box and everything happens there while the rest of the user interface is what takes up most of your screen. Yeah, but this game comes on floppy disk. Uh, so, I mean, it's really quite important to to be smart in how you use your disk space because you don't want to be swapping disks all the time. I'm pretty sure that this was an installer right. back in 93 because the, the copy that I have has is that this was installed at this date. Mm. So it was... It was probably a couple of floppies. You you stuck them in your computer, then you press install, and then uh, it was saved there because six megabytes in ninety three is not that much for a hard disk. No, no, exactly. No, no, but you don't want to have it on twenty floppy disks either. <laughs> no, and 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 especially yeah. since it saves to the to the root directory and it doesn't look for like a save floppy because a lot of the, the Mm. Yeah, the games maybe earlier that that were on multiple floppies might might have had a save floppy separately. Yeah, but I I, I think the the cartoon character portraits in general they're like the star of the show, right? I mean, they're uh, I I, I kind of like them. I think they're pretty cool and they're unique. Also, also a lot of the planet surfaces. There's a couple space stations as well, which look really cool. Yeah, and and uh, and those those are those are really fun. Yeah, I agree. So graphics, good job, yeah, yeah, good job, Doug. D- what's his name, Doug McCartney? <laughs> <laughs> so for for the sound, what do you guys think about the sound? Uh, eh. <laughs> it's it's mixed, right? There are some parts. I I think there are a few things that are really cool, and there are other things that are so so maybe. Mm. <laughs> like like for example, I'm a I'm a really big fan of the um, hyperspace or interstellar travel animation and the sound that goes with it. The, that's a voice, right? It's, 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 it it's also the... includes a voice. You know what? Let me play it to you. Oh. Leading standard orbit. <laughs> Establishing standard orbit. <laughs> well, I, I really like that one. Um, yeah. I mean, it also goes with this animation where the ship uh, turns and then you see the star field flying at you. I think that's a very, very good job. Yeah, and the voices are cool too. The 
I mean, <laughs> you don't like the character voices, but these are like ship yeah. voices, right? These are the... Yeah, those are great. Yeah. I think the thing that they did is that anything that you're going to hear a lot of times was done well. Mm. So you're you're supposed to be planet hopping like every 30 to seconds to a minute. Yeah. Realistically speaking. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you can skip the cutscene, which I learned about play after seven hours of play. <laughs> <laughs> but why, why, why would you? Because that, that part is really one of the most well-done parts of the game. Because because I was literally hopping planets in yeah, very okay. quick succession, trying to do stuff very quickly. So, yeah. But the things that you're you're hearing constantly is decent. Yeah, definitely. Although, yeah, I think we should play the the voice clip as well, Florian. Because I mean, yep. you you yeah, you can't mention it and then not play it. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's let's see what the Arden talk like. Hey I think it's hilarious. Just I think it's great. Yeah, in the middle it sounds like he's he's making farting noises with his with his mouth. <laughs> that's what llamas do, right? They like, Oh that's true. Yeah. That's true. Llamas spit. Yeah. I think it's great. I don't know what you're explaining. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, it it be, it brings a bit more character because otherwise, uh, well, really, if if you consider it without any of sound, all you're presented to, with is this wall of text. Yeah, that's true. And for 1993, that's already un, un, unforgivable. Is that you're presented with a wall of text? I mean, the wall of text with the sound is much better. Yeah. Than the wall of text. I mean, we've gone a long way from playing Zork. <laughs> Yeah, this is also 93. This is the time that the CD-ROM was really starting to make waves. So Right, but I guess yeah. not, not every studio had the budget to do voice acting for no. anything. Uh, actually, no, that's why. This now that you mentioned yeah. the wall of text, that was one of the things that I liked least. But now that you said you can... Can you skip that part as well? Uh, so when, whenever you talk to an alien... It, takes like two or three seconds until the text starts appearing and then it's, it's it like really slowly um, prints the text. No, you could you could speed it up, I think. Ah, damn it. I guess I should have asked about that earlier. Like enter or space <laughs> or escape or, or some of these, it just speeds, speeds it up. Yeah. Ah, right. Yeah. Okay. So my criticism doesn't stand then. No. Oh, well. <laughs> um, one thing that's really notable is the lack of music, right? I mean, there are these short music clips sometimes when you... Yeah. yeah. But that's it, really. There's no background music. There's no... It's the loneliness of space. <laughs> right. Well, but every other space game on the planet has like a Star Trek-y kind of, of uh, theme song, at least. Yeah. But I think it might be a technical reason, actually, why there is no music. Um, because this game supports the Disney Sound Source, oh boy, which is uh, a sound card by Disney. Weird enough, uh, it's like yeah, Disney decided to make a PC hardware. <laughs> Why not? I think I think source of all this is that by the late eighties, Disney wanted to make edutainment uh, PC games. And they really wanted Mickey Mouse in these games to uh, say things to the kids playing these games. But they found that in 19, well, 86, 85, 
this was not really possible because the PC only came with the the PC speaker, like the the little one bit uh, toot toot that that thing, um, which was not really capable of playing back speech. So, yeah, I think I think Disney really wanted Mickey Mouse to say something and then decided to develop an audio interface <laughs> just just for this purpose. But the game also supports the Sound Blaster and. It does. Uh, the Sound Blaster comes with an OPL2 chip, so yeah, it could th- have easily added music. Yeah, but I think the Disney Sound Source w- is like the main target because this was going to be a Disney tied-in game. Right. So I think the Disney Sound Source was like the, um, the, yeah, the main thing they were thinking about. Yeah, that, that would imply actually that they would have had a significant amount of the game developed already before being axed by Disney. Yeah, I think so. I think so, because if it happened earlier, I think they would have just abandoned development of the game entirely. Yeah, that's my guess anyway. I mean, there are Um, people credited for music, but I'm not sure if... uh... It's just really small (laughs) clips. When you enter a a planet or when you talk to an alien, I think it just plays a trumpet like... That's it. Yeah. But the technical reason is that the Disney Sound Source has no synthesizer chip and it only plays digital audio clips. Um, and it can't, it doesn't do hardware mixing or anything. So it, it can only play one sound at a time unless you mix it in software. Yeah. And you, it, it's not really an option on 1993 hardware to do sound synthesis in software. So exactly, exactly. So I think this is the reason why where there's not really any music at all. It's kind of fun if you're not familiar with the Disney Sound Source. It's kind of fun to look it up because it's a really odd device. It's uh it was a real oddball especially when you you uh, end up in the era and you played some of the games and you went into the sound options it's sort of yeah. like what is this Disney Sound Source? Yeah, and if you if you actually see the device it plugs into your printer port into the parallel port that's already massively weird. And then from the printer port, there's a, a modem cable that goes into a little speaker box that you put up on your desk, which has Mickey Mouse ears. And, <laughs> yeah. and that's, that's the thing. And then you turn on the little speaker, which also, by the way, has a battery in it. It doesn't even connect to a wall socket. It just You have to keep swapping batteries all the time. Yep. And, that, and from this little Mickey Mouse speaker, that's where, where the sound plays from. So <laughs> it's, it's a really weird device. And it's kind of fun. I think adding support for Sound Blaster is relatively easy. Yeah. If you've already, yeah. Once once you have the um, PCM samples, it's really simple to play them back on the Sound Blaster. Yeah, exactly. So I, I mean, think... for a week of work for a skilled programmer, I think. Yeah. So I think that's the reason, and obviously, Sound Bla- Way many more people had Sound Blasters than this. Yeah. Disney device, but right. Yeah. Yeah, we. I don't think we we even had it really over here in Europe at all. The Disney Sound Source. No, I've I've never seen one in the wild. No, never. Yeah, that's that's the thing. And but of course, Papyrus probably already had uh, Sound Blaster uh, PCM drivers. Probably. And and PCM uh, libraries that they could just plug in from their previous software. So it was probably uh, less than a week. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, but still kind of fun. I mean, it's kind of a fun subject. <laughs> yeah. Someone, someone um, of you noted that the voices of the aliens sound a bit like like The Sims. <laughs> <laughs> I think The Sims uh, have much more expression and uh, 
I mean, you know what I mean? You, you can you can you can understand what they mean even by just listening to the gibberish. Yeah, but it's the yeah, sure. But it's the it's the different aliens all have a different voice clip, right? So yeah, and obviously this game didn't have that much. Uh, they didn't have well, actually. The, I think the voices only came with the CD-ROM edition, but weirdly, the ho- the whole of the CD-ROM takes up like nine megabytes. So, <laughs> I mean, they could have maybe recorded a bit more samples, but yeah. Oh, well. Well, it's all money, right? Yeah, that's true. Okay. Um, I think that's all about the game itself that we could have said, right? Mm-hmm. Did we, did, we, did we forget about anything? I don't think so. No. So um, usually we talk about um, other releases or sequels, but I think nothing like that ever happened to that game. There's this these two releases that you mentioned, the um, floppy disk release and the CD release. And that's it, right? There were no sequels. There were no other platforms involved. Not that I know of. Uh, I, I read somewhere on the internet that there's a difference between the American and the European intro. Although I'm not completely sure if it's if that's the difference or maybe the difference is in the floppy and the CD-ROM edition having a different intro. But mm-hmm. well, if you go to Moby Games uh, and you look at the screenshots, there's uh, a listed European title screen which is called Project Nomad. Ah. So it could have been that there was some kind of copyright uh, trademark problem with Nomad, so they had to insert Project in front of it. Right. Maybe now that you remind me of the screenshots, I have one more annotation. For the graphics, um, there's one screenshot. Um, that's the very first thing that you see in the game, is um, your character creation screen, where you type in your name and the name of your ship, mm-hmm. and that's the most beautiful screen in the entire game, if you ask me. <laughs> nah, it's it's a cool screen, but I, I think most of the screens look pretty decent, to be honest. Uh, I think this one stands out. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so. Just a few minor differences in the releases as far as we can tell. No sequels. Do you think it influenced any other games that are popular today? No. I can't really think of any that you couldn't also trace back to other similar games. Um, I know that at least one person working on this game has also worked on Mass Effect. Ah. So that's something. But... I'm pretty sure that Mass Effect would have happened in exactly the same way <laughs> probably <laughs> if if Nomad was wasn't, never wasn't there a connection between Starflight and Mass Effect as well? Yeah, or? definitely, definitely. Yeah, I think we said something like that. Yeah, yeah, but Starflight That's... was was really um influential on the whole genre. Ah. I mean, without Starflight, Nomad would never have happened. Right. So yeah, and... no, Nomad is maybe a bit forgotten today and maybe there's a reason for it. Mm. I think it's a cool game, but it's a cool game, no, no, no question. Uh, I think it just doesn't innovate enough, maybe, or yeah, doesn't. Yeah, it's for some reason it didn't take off. Yeah, it was definitely forgotten now, and maybe even at the time, I don't remember it making particularly big waves. No, and um, I, I think that also is reflected in the contemporary reviews, right? So. Hmm. This game has like like mediocre reviews on average, right? It's like fifty to to seventies ratings. Yeah, and I, I think for nineteen ninety three, that's relatively harsh, isn't it? Well, they were used to giving lower scores than we are used to now, maybe. Yeah, yeah. but still, yeah, 
I don't know. I'm looking at this PC zone one that Richard scanned in. This is one of the more favorable ones. They gave it a 78 out of 100. But when you read the article, it's not really... Yeah, it doesn't make you run to the store and buy it because it's it's kind of okay, but Elite is a lot better. That's like the... I, actually, this this review is a is an advertisement for Elite. <laughs> so, well, here's a yeah. here's um, here's one review from um, Aktueller Software Markt, which was a very popular games magazine in Germany. Okay, and it says um, Nomad really knows to enchant. Um, there's an amazing amount of um, encounters and bartering possibilities, unexplored planets. So they gave it a eighty-three percent. So oh wow, that's actually super good. The, the best one that Moby Games lists is from Joystick uh, in French. So too bad we don't have any of our French people here today. But they gave it a eighty-nine percent. So yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean the one that I read off of uh, Finnish Pellet magazine basically says is that it feels like it went it came from the C sixty four era. Okay. That's not an advertisement, is it? <laughs> no, and and it gives it a it it does give it a seventy four. Okay, but but it's sort of uh, it compares it very much to uh, uh, in the actual review to uh, uh, Star Control two. Right. Yeah, and they're sort they're not even in the same ballpark, unfortunately. You, you see, um, Aktuella Software Markt they reviewed the game again four months later for the CD ROM version, and they gave it fifty percent. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> they, they, they they complain that it's basically just um, the floppies packed onto the the disc, and yeah. you don't save any space on the on your hard disk. And they say the player is um, you're, you're basically milking the player. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. I think people expected that if they bought a CD-ROM edition, they would get something extra. Yeah. Like, for example, the Sierra games, they were remastered for CD-ROM. They came with better graphics, with extra voice acting, oh, yeah. with, yeah. and Same for LucasArts games. Yeah. Well, so. okay, I'll, I'll disagree on Loom and, and gave you extra oh, yeah, but... uh, on CD-ROM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's a technical, I mean, yeah. You get speech, but then you take out the music out of the music game. Yeah. Yeah. But on a, on a surface level, I think you can see that they at least gave you something extra in a sort of way, right? I mean... Yeah. Well, we talked about this uh, on the seventh guest episode, hmm. uh, where which was sort of the rise of the CD-ROM. Yeah. So definitely by that time, you had at least two years of people reading about, okay, you buy the CD version, you get this. Yeah. You buy the CD version, you get that. And basically the CD version was as the CDs don't cost any more than the floppies. They're probably even cheaper to pack because they weigh less. Yeah. So they're le- it's uh, cost less to distribute. So that's the reason why they released it on CD-ROM. Yeah. It's probably also the reason why you can still buy the game today. Hmm. What do you mean? Like on GOG or? I mean that you can still find CD versions of the game off eBay. Right. Because most likely the floppy versions would have been thrown out. Yeah. Uh, a while ago, unless you were really a collector of your, of your floppies, because CDs are some things that, that sort of stick with you. Right. Yeah. At least they stuck with me more than more than the floppies that I have. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, it feels like a bit of a budget title all in all. Um I think when you look at this um 
when you look at this review that Richard scanned in, the the PC format one, the PC's own one, I think, um, it says it's £30, which is a lot cheaper than than like the big games. For example, it says here that Frontier Elite, uh, Elite 2 Frontier, that one is £40. And Wing Commander Privateer, which we mentioned at the start, that was even £50. So... Yeah, I guess this this is just uh, not a AAA game, right? This is just uh, a smaller game. Yeah, I, what wasn't? Yeah, wasn't Elite Two the one that had so many bugs that it was so bad? Totally. When it was released. Totally, but you don't know <laughs> that when you're buying it. <laughs> uh, well, I, uh, our review magazine. I remember they basic because I I had a subscription to Pelit magazine back then. Is that they would release news items where with like, hey, Elite 2 has gotten a patch and they actually fixed this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but I, I think I think the trick trick was is that compared to some of these other ones where Wing Commander had the Wing Commander title to go for mm. it, Star Control 2 was the game for Star Control yeah. back when it was. So I think they just couldn't sell enough of these copies by between when it was released in April and 94 when this re- or a review came out on on PC format, so they just right. sort of tried to undercut the prices that save twenty quid from buying Privateer, and then you get yeah. uh, uh, Elite. I mean, you have to remember that with Privateer came the speech pack was extra, and mm. uh, the add-on game Righteous Fire was extra. Sure, and they probably came out a year later or so. Yeah, maybe things would have been different if they if they had been licensed by Disney. I think if this game turned out to be the official Space Mountain game, then it would have been a lot more well-known, don't you think? Definitely, definitely. So, yeah. But there's still probably a lot of DOS, Mickey Mouse, or or Disney titles that never made it over to Europe just on the fact is that they thought they didn't want to localize it. Hmm, Right. Because, I I mean, uh, Florian will probably better know that era is that how much of the games that were sold were mostly in German or had German translations versus the other titles, especially ones that are text-based. And this is very text-heavy. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, for, for Mickey Mouse games, there there's not very much text very often, right? Like um, Castle of Illusion, I don't think it has that much text. No, so. no. Well... The um, the Mickey ga- the Mickey Mouse games they were making at the time were mostly spelling games, so right. <laughs> like learning the language. I don't know. I think it's maybe kind of important to translate it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They, they could have made it in um, like like foreign language game instead. Yeah, learn English with <laughs> Mickey Mouse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, you already mentioned that um, the only way apparently to actually get the game is through eBay, right? Or other trading, uh, like trading with, with other collectors. Or I don't think it's on GOG at all. No. no I, I just checked. It's not there. No. So it's actually one of the games that's hard to get unless you're willing to bend some rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Of course, you can... You, yeah. I mean, you can, you can buy the four floppy version off eBay for 17 euros. Well, that's the good news that if you if you can find a copy, it's it's usually not that expensive because there's no massive demand, is there? I mean, this is not one of those games that people are really hunting for. No. 
So, but on, on the other hand, there are just not so many available. So that's true. It's a bit complicated, especially <laughs> for the collector kind of person. Yeah. Okay. So, final words about the game. What do you think? Did it hold up? I think in general, I quite liked it, and actually, it was growing on me as I was playing it. Um, it we played a little while ago, yeah. of course. And I played it again just before this podcast, just, yeah, getting into it again and, and remembering what it was all about. And, yeah, it was starting to grow on me now. So, I don't know. I think it, it could be fun. And it, I think the main problem is that there's just so much competition in this genre. There's just so many other great space exploration games that it's easy to overlook this one and play Another one, which is also great, like Star Control or like Privateer or like, you know, all the other ones. So I'm not sure what this game has to offer over the other ones. But if you if you have this game, if you're playing this game, it's it's kind of cool. It's uh, and, and what's unique is all the cute characters. So if you're into that, then yeah, if you're looking for a more lighthearted space game, then this might be it. But also one where you need to read a bit more, right? So. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think from retrospect, is this is probably not a title I would have picked up back in the day, and it probably wouldn't be a title that I'd pick up today, except for uh, uh, someone suggesting it, and it was uh, being picked for the game of the month. But now having played it, I sort of enjoy it much more. I think this is the kind of game is where you play it for, say, a few 10 hours, and then you start a new game. A few 10 hours? Yeah, you know. <laughs> 10. Do you, um, pay, you pay it for however long I played it for, which was, yeah. I don't know, my log file is about 54 kilobytes. <laughs> so however long that is. <laughs> uh, so I played it for a significant amount of time. It could probably, because it starts, the, it actually has dates and years. I could probably count how many days I, I, I played in game time. But it's the kind of game that you start, you learn more about it, and then you go back and restart it just so you can figure out that, okay, this is a better way to do it. Or you already know where some things are, so you pick up uh, some things a bit faster or you do progress more. Because I ended up at a state where uh, the Koroks were attacking some of the major uh, planets. Right. That's scary. So I'd go to a major planet hub and there would be a Korok uh, vessel already there. Yeah, in the beginning, the game is sort of easing you in and it's 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 sort of easy to just get around and it's all relatively safe. But things change pretty pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. And 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 eventually, this is sort of the kind of title that I mean, you could remember to save often if you don't want to lose your inventory. But uh, you'd uh, probably go in and and start doing things much faster. You'd you'd either or you'd sit back and enjoy all the space trading. I mean, there's a lot of games that are about that right now that you, could, you that are uh, uh, more current to the 2020, like No Man's Sky and and all those, which are basically similar to this. Is they're laid back. Uh, space trading games right so, so from from that aspect it's it's very much a, a, a good image of of what you know a laid-back space trading game was in in the dos era yeah it's sort of unique as well to have a casual game that's this old because early 90s is not the era of the casual game is it so uh, is it is it really that casual i mean um you said that this is one of the games that grows on you over time and you need some patience to actually get into the game, which is kind of what kept me away from the game for mo- for the most part. Mm. So yeah, I guess. You, but it's not really 
very complicated is what I mean. Yeah, I mean, true. it's sort of easy to get into and the, the user interface is quite easy. So The thing that, that's maybe missing the most is what uh, would be a sense of direction. Mm. Yeah, right. It's it's not the kind is that there's a main story quest and you can advance the main story or you can go off and do side quests. This is sort of the game is where you go in, you're given, okay, the master control robot is going to take over the the galaxy and then you're sort of left on your own yeah yeah but it's, that's that's pretty similar to to other games that we we played and where i think it didn't matter that much for example pirates who mentioned that earlier i mean you you have like like a goal but you're not really directed to to advance in the direction of that goal and the same goes for transarctica i think so you have a rough idea of what you have to do but nobody really guides you yeah yeah this is sort of similar, to be honest. But the, there's 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 better pick up and play on this than than say Privateer was because I remember Privateer was directly gated until you picked up your first hyperspace engine. Hmm. So you had to uh, play around in your little sandbox doing these little missions so you could afford it, and then you could actually go somewhere. So so in this aspect, this this gives you far more freedom to to uh, express yourself or to choose your your uh, chosen course before actually getting you in more into the deeper things into the story yeah that makes sense so so do you recommend it uh i mean i think i think it's it's the kind of game is that you would have to try it right and go in just play uh, sit down and play uh, for like three or four evenings you know the equivalent of about 10 hours or so and then after that you could decide whether you've had enough or not or if you happen uh, like me, is is that I tried to do a mission where, where kill two spacecrafts and then you end up dying for uh, eight times in a row, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then you decide yeah. that okay, but but it it really requires a bit more insight in that hey you don't have to do that go off and do something else right. you know figure out something else go trade for a new archbot and go stick it on a planet go explore the different systems get to know more races and possibly do something else right. Um, so for, for, for me, it's really difficult to judge because uh, obviously I didn't play it for so much. But then again, the, case, the, the reason that I didn't play it for so much is that I just couldn't find the patience to get through those first few hours of gameplay that it takes for the game to draw you in. So mm. it's, 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 uh, it's hard to tell. Yeah, I kind of like the cute characters. I think that's a, a cool aspect of this game, which you don't see. Sure, but but for how long can that entertain you? Well, longer than you think. <laughs> Depends on how. <laughs> yeah, it's it kind State of, of feel, it kind of feels like a, like a kid cartoon to me. You know, like you tune in on your on Saturday morning, and then your favorite show is up with all your favorite characters. It it kind of feels like that to me. So yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I think I can live with that. So, final verdict, uh, play it if that's your kind of game and you think you can have, uh, you can, can master enough patience. But in the end, I guess it is a sort of 7 out of 10 game. I mean, that's just what it is. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, that concludes Nomad. Guess it does. Shall we talk a bit about the club? No. Okay. Then, goodbye. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> Well, actually, I would like to talk about the club. Oh, so, okay. Um, that uh, was Nomad. We played it in February. 
Mm-hmm. Now, uh, by now, it's almost May, so we are just oh, still behind, oh, still behind our schedule a bit. So, in March, we played Descent, which will be the next episode that we're going to talk about. Yeah, similar in some aspects, entirely different in others. Uh, it's a space game. I, I, I guess <laughs> no, it has no, 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 just no. It's nothing like it. <laughs> It has missiles. Yeah. It has mis- missiles and first-person combat. So right. it's basically right. the same. Yeah. Um, all right. So at the moment, in April, we are almost about to finish um, playing System Shock, which is entirely different again. Right? Which is way more cool of a game than I thought, actually, than I realized. I never played it at the time because I couldn't get it running back in the day. I had a pirated copy and it didn't work and, yeah, just didn't never ran. But I, it's, it's still a fantastic game. It Still really is. Fantastic it game. really is. From what I've seen so far, it's truly blowing my mind. So, uh, yeah, System Shock. System Shock is yeah. a cool game. You heard it there first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think there's a reason that this game is um, so well known even mm. today, right? So everybody, everybody knows about it. Maybe not everybody has played it, but I think most players have heard about it at least. Yeah. Right. Um, the month after, in um, May... We are mm-hmm. going to play several games, actually. We, this will be our pinball month. Let's dive into pinball stuff. So, Pinball. Yeah, uh, we, we, have, we have a collection of games that we want to try. Did anyone count them? They're countless. Uh, I counted them earlier today uh, based on the, amount, the submissions. and, and uh, the, I didn't count how many tables there are, but there were 13, 13 titles. Uh, oh. Awesome. I guess we'll have enough to do. Do you have a list of them somewhere, Esco? They're on the forums. Right. I put a, a list of games and the tables included in each game. Very good. Because I think I think we need a thread per per game, right? That's probably the way to discuss this. Yeah. Yep. Or like a scoreboard. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. We talked about that. Oh, yeah. Maybe we can put up. Okay. Yeah, let's try. You to... still have a couple days left. Okay. Okay. Let's okay. Let's, let's try to put something together. Right. Yeah. Cool. And I just mentioned that I'm not a very patient person, and that's why we picked um, a genre for June that doesn't need any patience at all, and that's a text adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, action-packed, just dive in head first. No, oh, actually reading a lot. Look at and, door, yeah. open door. The door mm. is locked. Look at key. <laughs> yeah, but it's still cool. I mean, we have never done a nope. proper text adventure in this club at all. We haven't. Even though it's sort of a foundational genre to the whole PC gaming thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, yeah, we really should correct this. And I mean, text adventures are probably one of the few types of games that you can play on the original PC with the first DOS versions. So, yep. yep. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And there the the genre is older than the PC oh, yeah. is. So, that's a yeah. lot a lot yep. older. So, um, and I think I think the game we chose is actually a really cool choice because it's not your typical, uh, it's not Zork. It's not, you know, it's not a black background and white text and, and just, yeah, it's not pure text, but it's still a proper text adventure. So I, th- yeah. I think this is a good entry into the whole text adventure scene stuff. Right. And you can get it for free. There's a link on the forums. Ah, perfect. Nice. Nice. So who knows? Maybe we'll uh, we'll get renamed to um, Text Adventure Game Club because we all become massive <laughs> Text Adventure fans. Who knows? Who knows? Everything can yep. happen. 
Maybe we should mention what the game is. Oh, right. Uh, so um, the game is Gateway. I don't know much about it, but I think that will change in a couple of months. Months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's based on a novel, uh, and it's released by Legend Entertainment. And uh, Legend is a really cool company, and they're a direct descendant of Infocom. Ooh. And Infocom is, of course, huge in the whole... It is the text adventure company. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And after Infocom ended, mm-hmm. uh, the, some of the people founded Legend to well, continue their... Uh, legacy, I guess. So, uh, right. Yeah. So that's what's going on in the near future, I guess. Definitely. And in the present already, you can join us at dosgameclub.com where you can join our forums, mm-hmm. um, listen to our podcast episodes. Yeah. You can even join our IRC chat from there, yep. which means you don't have to install a client or anything to do that. And the uh, the SSL certificate is not expired at all. So <laughs> No, it's not. <laughs> I just renewed it three days ago. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning. <laughs> I'm glad you noticed. If that's also not your kind of thing, you can also follow us on Twitter, where we are at DOS Game Club. And of course, you can listen to our podcast on all, I hope all, uh, on many popular podcasting apps like iTunes, Spotify, whatever. And if you do, leave us a rating there, um, preferably a favorable one. But yeah, it's up to you. Yeah. Definitely. And if you've got grievances or hate mail, then yeah, just send, send save, email. It. <laughs> save it in my documents and then exactly. yeah, forget about it. You know, it's, it's <laughs> like when, when you're very angry, sometimes you're being told to send to write a letter but never send it. Do that yeah. if you're unhappy yeah, with the podcast. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but do send us voice messages if you have fun stuff to tell about the games. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Exactly. Voice messages, um, we get way too little voice messages. Yeah. So, so actually, we received one for System Shock. Ooh, great! So uh, that's cool. But a descent one but, is still missing. Aww. Likely, uh, you won't hear this episode before we actually started recording descent. So, well, maybe if you if you still want to send a message, we will probably edit it in somehow. We'll see what happens. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Just just send them. Okay. Um, I think that's it for the show. Right? Yeah. Yep. Thanks for joining, guys. No problem. And thanks for listening, all listeners. Thanks for hosting. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.